<clears throat> there are times God changes the best laid plans. <clears throat> you ever notice that from time to time? And uh, as a pastor, we try to pray uh, and know when we get up to preach that this is the message God has for that meeting. And I like when I'm absolutely certain of those times. Uh, it's certainly my heart's desire to be that way every time. <coughs> but uh, God did direct a different way this morning in the 11 o'clock hour. And so, Lord willing, uh, we're going to preach what I had for the 11 o'clock hour this afternoon. Maybe it was for this afternoon and not for this morning. Uh, so, um, pray that God will bless it and use it. And um, anyway, we're going to read one verse of Scripture, and uh, then we'll get into the message this afternoon. Isaiah chapter 31, and let's uh, read verse number 1. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message, and Lord, help us as we look at some things in the, in the uh, life of the nation of Israel that I believe can be applied so readily and needfully in the day that we live. I pray that you'd help us to have an open heart that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct us in all truth. And Lord, may we come to a clear understanding uh, of not only the warnings that you have for Israel, but your instructions to them. And so may you uh, help us to glean from these things, the things that you would have for us today, that our hearts will be drawn closer to you and we will be uh, more of a testimony, uh, being able to... Uh, live a life that is pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In several chapters here in Isaiah, and I want you to look, keep your Bibles handy, we're going to look at several of these. We find that God makes the statement to the nation of Israel, uh, woe to uh, them in a particular area. And he begins uh, stating some woes all the way back in chapter 28. If you'll turn back there with me for a moment. And he begins in, verse, in chapter 28 and verse number 1 as he says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is as a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome uh, with wine. And uh, then we get to chapter number 29, and you'll find he gives, pronounces another woe to the nation of Israel. As he says, Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt, add ye year to year, uh, let uh, let them kill uh, sacrifices, yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be turned uh, unto me as Ariel. And then we find in verse uh, chapter number 30 and verse number 1, chapter 30 and verse number 1, uh, once again, God declaring a woe to the nation of Israel. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with the covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. And then that brings us to our chapter 31, where our text is. And again, pronouncing woe in, in summary, really, chapter 31 is in summary of the preceding chapters of all the woes that he has pronounced on Israel. And we find in uh, chapter 31, he says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay uh, on horses and trust in chariots, 
because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. And there are several woes here. And of course, we uh, if you've been in uh, studying Scripture very much uh, in your life or uh, have been in church very much in your life, you understand that when God speaks uh, a woe unto somebody, He's um, not only expressing usually His um, his disappointment, his dissent, his sometimes even uh, anger towards the sinful condition that they're involved in. But more times than not, when he talks about a woe, he usually attaches it with a judgment for their actions. There are several things that Isaiah deals with here, and these are, uh, if you take them and, and understand the context of the chapters that we're going to be looking out of, these are speaking here prophetically of some things that not only Israel is doing in that day, but speaking to the fact that there's going to be a day where they continue in these things and do these things. And uh, But it's interesting for us to note that oftentimes in the Old Testament, God deals with Israel many times the way that He deals with us individually. And so while we have to understand that some of the Old Testament was written to and specifically for the nation of Israel... It does help us to understand God's uh, attitude towards and His actions towards uh, even the things that apply in our life. And so as we come to chapter, I want to, we're going to start in chapter 28, and I want to share three things with you that I think are shown very clearly here in Scripture. The three areas that Israel was failing in that God uh, proclaimed woe to them on. And He spoke of the consequences of those actions uh, when he gets here. And I want, to, I want us to start uh, the onset here by asking us to keep an open mind to our lives. Because so often we become critical of things that we see in Scripture or maybe even things that we see in the lives of Christian brothers or sisters around us. And we become critical of those things without taking the time to be introspective and look at our own life and our own heart. And so I'm going to ask, if you will, as we look at these things... Uh, that Israel was obviously failing uh, in, that obviously Israel was uh, doing contrary to what God wanted, I want us to ask ourselves the question, do these apply to me? Are these things that happen in my life? And to answer in such a way that you make yourself feel good is not what we're looking for. We're asking you to answer yourself with integrity. Because if all you do is, is give yourself the answer, I'm not asking you to write this out and sign your name to it. I'm not asking you to raise your hand so pastor can know. I'm asking you to ask yourself these questions. And I'm going to ask that we don't be self-deceived. Let, let's not give the, the pat answer that we want to hear so we feel okay with it. Let's do some genuine introspection here and find out, is this something inside of me? The psalmist asked the Lord, and he was a very sincere when he asked it. He said, try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And the idea is, I, I want to know, Lord, if this is a problem area in my life that I've been blinded to or willingly ignorant of, whatever the case is, Lord, make it apparent to me. Because I want to make sure that I'm not doing some of these things that God was dealing with the nation of Israel on. And I believe that these are, day, these are things that, especially in the day we live, uh, we can become so... Uh, tempted to do, if you will. Uh, we can become so uh, prodded in these areas. So let's look at a few of these very quickly. In uh, chapter 28, <clears throat> he begins uh, by saying, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, 
whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. And he gives indication here that uh, those of, of Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, uh, had great pride. They thought highly of themselves. There was beauty there. But God calls it a fading beauty. Because, beauty, because there are some things that they do. And, and let's look down here at a couple of these things. <clears throat> look in verse number uh, 7. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink, uh, and uh, through strong drink, are out of the way. Uh, the priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink and err in vision. Notice this. They stumble in judgment. So, uh, the Bible uses wine here as the reason, but the, uh, the sinfulness and the condition not only of the nation of Israel and not only of the tribe of Ephraim, but even uh, the condemnation here of the, uh, the things that the, the religious leaders, those that were a religious example, those that were the uh, religious uh, folks, these that are, are prophets and those that are priests, it says even they have erred. Boy, if it's, not, if it's not indicative of the day that we live in, I don't know what is. Because the truth is, there is a pride that has raised its head among religious leaders in the day that we live, and they have erred in their judgment. They have stumbled, and they err in vision, the Bible speaks of here in verse number 7. This was one of the marks of their uh, failure in the things of the Lord. And then he goes on to speak of how he views this. And I know this is a, a, a gross thing to speak of, but this is how God views this. He says, For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. He looked through the tribe of Ephraim and he says, You know, you guys have had pride, you've had beauty, you've been an example. And he says, Now we're at a place where even the religious leaders are blind. Their vision is not what it should be. They err. And the tables are full of vomit. He said, it's so bad that there is no place any longer that's even clean. And boy, we could say that of today's society, can we not? Things that used to be off limits. Things that we used to hold very sacred and very dear to the heart of God. We have now floundered and caused sin to be brought in. And sinful condition and worldliness has crept. And I don't even want to use the word crept. Worldliness has barged in the front door of the churches. And come in with a, with a, with a vengeance and with, with great zeal and sad to say, in the day that we live, the, the people of our, our churches have welcomed it with open arms. It's so much so that there is no place that's clean. He goes on to say in verse number 11, or verse number 10, he says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will they speak to this people. To whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not notice this and put your, uh, if you have a pen, underline this. Yet they would not what? They would not hear. He said, Listen, you, you leaders, y'all that have erred, he says, it needs to be precept upon precept, line upon line, truth upon truth. This, this needs to be something that is established on God's Word and God's Word alone. He says, I told them that this would be the way that they would uh, gain. Uh, in verse, look, if you will, look with me in verse number 12. He says, To whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. 
He says, if you want to get out from under this judging hand, if you want to, if you want to have true rest, if you want to have true joy, if you want to have true peace, it's got to be the precept upon precept. It's got to be the line upon line. It's got to be here a little, there a little. It's got to be from God's Word. He says in verse number 11, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. They're so corrupt, they don't even speak God's Word plainly and clearly. And the thing that is so sad to me is the last few words of verse number 12. Yet they would not hear. Can I tell you one of the greatest problems in Christianity today is we do not hear God's Word. We don't hear it. We have stopped our ears. You remember the story of Stephen when he preached? You remember that? The, the, the deacon that was filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> he got up and began to preach, and the people got angry. Their, their heart was so pricked, and their conscience was so, so uh, 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 under conviction that the Bible says that they stopped their ears, and they ran upon him. They stoned him. They gnashed him with their teeth. They were, they were angry at him for t- teaching the truth. These folks were saying, listen, we know what God's truth is. But we don't want to hear it. And we're living in this day. We're sitting here in Keith Heights Baptist Church, and I hope and pray that we are a church that longs for the Word of God, to seek for the Holy Spirit of God to move us and direct us. But the truth is, to some extent, in each one of our lives, we battle this thing of willingly saying, I will not hear it. I will not hear it. You say, oh, pastor, I don't think so. Okay, let's think of that one thing that we know God's Word says that we still continue in. Are we not saying, I will not hear it? It's interesting to me, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights, the seven churches, letters to the seven churches, at the end of every one of them, God makes the exact same statement to him. He that hath ears to hear... Let him hear. Seven different times. Not to a few of the churches, but to every single one of them. One of the things that he leaves them with, the thought that he leaves them with, is make sure that you're willing to hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And we're living in a day where society has taught us and we as God's people have said, I really don't want to hear it. If preacher gets up and preaches on sin... I don't want to go to a church like that. I want a church that makes me feel good. I don't have a problem in the world. I love preaching about God's love. I love preaching about how great God is and praising Him. And I love services like that. When we walk out the doors of this church and we are uplifted and we are thrilled again in our hearts and our hearts are stirred with how good and how great God is. But there is also a need and a time for us to preach on sin and not be of the, of the mindset that I'm just not going to listen to it. I'm not going to stop my ears. I'm, not going, to, I, I'm going to be as thankful for those times as I am for the other times. Why? Because God said it needs to be precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And I don't want to, as a pastor, be a man of stammering lips who speaks something other than that and says, I will not hear. I want to make sure that we are line upon line. Notice as he says in verse number 13 here, But the word of the Lord was upon them, precept upon precept, 
precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And you know what God was saying here? He was saying, this is what it needs to be. They said, we're not listening. And God said, you know what? It's still line upon line. Whether you're willing to listen or not, it's still line upon line. It's still precept upon precept. It's still here a little and there a little. And if it's not, if it's not taken care of, if it's not dealt with, it's going to be used to break some things. It's going to be used to bring some judgment in your life. And he begins the chapter with, whoa, there's some problems here. And the problems is you have a problem listening and hearing. Look down with me, if you will, in verse number 23. God gives them a remedy for this. After, commend, after being critical of these things and speaking of the judgment in verses 17 and on that he's going to deal with them, in verse number 23 he gives the remedy and he says this, Give ye ear and hear my voice, hearken and hear my speech. My question today in point number one is this, are we as God's people, I'm not talking about Keith the Heights Baptist Church as a whole, are we individually as a child of God in a place where we say, Lord, I want to hear what Your Word says. It may cause me to come under conviction, but I still want to hear it. It may cause me to change some things, but I still want to hear it. The truth is that the truth is always the truth. And whether we hear it or not does not change it. And we have a choice to make that we can either be yielded to and hear it and benefit from it. Or we can stop our ears and say we will not hear. And God will use that truth eventually to be something that breaks inside of us. That causes us to have a spirit of brokenness. He starts chapter number 29 with another woe. He speaks here of a specific city. He says, Woe to Ariel, to Ariel the city where David dwelt. Add a year, add ye year to year. Let them kill sacrifices. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. There are some things that they are dealing with here in this particular chapter that begin, God begins to point them out in verse number 10. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, and saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me, notice this verse, with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore will I proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent man shall be hid. He said there's, there's a problem. He said, I've given you my words. You say, well, I can't even see them. I'm an unlearned man. I can't read them. They're hid to me. This truth that God has. So much so that this people says, we, 
we honor the Lord and we draw near to the Lord. We love Him with all of our hearts. Have you ever been in that situation before? Have you ever known somebody to be like this? Oh, I sure love the Lord. Oh, He's dear to me. I love His Word. But the heart is far from Him. I've watched in my own life as there's been claim made that, Lord, I love You with all of my heart, with all of my soul. And then I deny His truth. I'm as a man who looks away from a book and says, I can't understand it. I'm not a learned man. I don't look to God's truth. I don't see God's truth. I pay lip service to it, but not heart service to it. Israel was first criticized, Ephraim specifically, saying we're not going to hear. When the Word of God is spoken, we're not going to hear. In fact, our leaders, they can't even speak it straight. They're speaking with, with stammering lips. We're not going to hear it. Then we get to the city of Ariel where David was. And we find that this particular city specifically was saying, we love the Lord, we give Him honor, we give Him praise. But it was all on the outside, it was all on the external. I love the testimony Miss Kathy shared this morning of Jacob, and I don't mean to embarrass him. But for a lot of years, he had a lot of externals. I look at my own testimony. In a lot of years, I had a lot of externals. But the heart was departed from the Lord. It's possible, folks. And I, and I, I want us, again, just be honest with yourself because I don't know your heart. I can't see your heart. But let's be honest with ourselves today and do a, a little bit of self-inspection. Am, am I guilty of trying to outwardly be something that inwardly I am not? Here's a city that God rebukes and says woe to them. Because their lips were for the Lord, but their heart was far from Him. Somebody said years ago, and it's a, a catchy little phrase, and the phrase is you're... Walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And really what they were saying is a lot of what this verse is saying. You can say something outwardly, but is it legitimate on the inside? One of the greatest responsibilities you and I have as God's children is to focus on the inner man before we deal with the outer man, before we deal with service to the Lord, that has to be most important to us. My walk with God, my time with Him, is my heart close to Him? And if it's not, before I work on anything else, that needs to be my priority. Then I can work on the outside. Then I can work on serving. But oh, that the heart would become the main thing. He speaks of them in verse 13 as those who, whose lips do Him honor, but have removed their heart far from Me. And I want you to notice this. Their fear toward Me is taught by the precept of men. You know, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
And yet it says here that the fear that they did have toward the Lord was not something that they had inwardly, but something that was taught to them by other men. Can I tell you this? If I have to be taught outwardly to fear the Lord, then I do not see God as He really is. How can a, infant, or how can a finite, sinful human man ever stand before a holy God recognizing His holiness and His justice and His might and His power? And not fear and tremble in Him. If a Christian has to be taught to fear the Lord, there's something wrong. There needs to be an inward condition that seeks and walks and longs for that relationship with God. That when we're near Him, we have no other alternative than to be in fear of Him. And I'm not talking about being scared as in uh, being fearful of how bad He's going to treat me but fear and awe of Him. The idea that He is who He is and I am who I am. I love love the response of Isaiah in chapter number 6. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he saw the cherubims and holy, 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 and you see that beautiful picture of the throne room of God. And Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Couldn't even... He couldn't even speak till the till the angel went and uh, cherubim went and got the coal from off the altar and touched it to his lips and purged him. Why? Because he feared the Lord in his presence. I think that there needs to be a revival in our hearts of a true fear of the Lord. We find these people had an outward mouth and speaking testimony of it, but inwardly they were not what they appeared to be. And God tells them woe. He declares a woe on them. We have a group here that say, I will not hear. We have a group here that says, Oh, I'll, I am all these things. But the truth is, I'm, I'm, I'm not what I appear to be on the inside. And then we get to chapter number 30. And God declares another woe to the nation of Israel. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord. That take counsel. Now, I, I want to just stop here for a minute. Most of the time in our lives, we do not consider ourselves in rebellion toward God. We think of rebellion as, man, that's a really <coughs> bad, rotten attitude, defiance towards. I want you to notice how God views rebellion towards Him. Let's look in verse 1 here <coughs> because He describes it. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord. Now, here's, here's what they, this is what characterizes them as rebellious. That take counsel. That doesn't sound too bad so far, does it? Until you read the next phrase. But not of me. They take counsel, but not of me. That covereth with a covering, but not of my spirit. That they may add sin to sin. He said, you're you're going to places to find the answers that aren't me. You're trying to cover things. You're trying to to get, get comfort for things without coming to my Holy Spirit. And he said, in doing so, you're rebellious. In doing so, he goes this far to say, we're adding sin to sin. And God considers it rebellious. 
Why? Because we haven't gone to Him. We haven't sought His counsel. We haven't depended and, and absolutely laid our life in full dependence upon the moving and the leading of His Holy Spirit. His guidance in our life. We seek counsel of every other place before we ever go to God. And isn't it amazing how often that's the case? That the first places we turn are our friends. The first places that we turn are to the comforts of this world, family, or to, or to acquaintances that we have. And it almost seems like as an afterthought, after we've done all of these things and we've made a royal mess of the situation, then we come to God and say, Lord, I sure could use some help here. God called that group of people a rebellious people. Those are some pretty strong words. I've often taught on the fact that we need to seek God first in matters. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, I think, teach that very clearly. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not in thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. And I think we ought to consider everything by seeking God first in our lives. And anything less than that, and this is something that we don't think of very often, that anything less than that, God th- thinks I'm rebellious to Him in. He, he speaks very clearly of the children of Israel, saying they're a rebellious people because they don't seek Me first. They seek people other than Me. They seek counsel, but it's not of Me. They seek covering, but not of the Holy Spirit. Notice he goes on verse number 2, that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. I, I want to just mention this. And again, I, it's so easy for us to say and be critical of Israel for doing this. But didn't God deliver them from Egypt? Didn't God have to perform absolute miracles to get them out of Egypt's power? Didn't God destroy really really the, the ultimate power of Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea and He destroyed Pharaoh's mighty army? And they never again were a strong world power to that level. And here's God's people being delivered from, we consider Egypt the world. They've been delivered from the world. And when they have a need, guess where they go back to for their strength and their dependence? Egypt. They go right back to it. Oh, Pharaoh, he'll take care of us. Oh, their strength and their chariots and their their men, their men are strong. We're just going to go back and we're just going to follow Egypt. You know, we're going to depend upon them for our strength. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help, nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. They were trusting in the Pharaoh of Egypt. They were trusting, you read down here in verse number 6, even of the burden, uh, beast of burden that would carry things. They trusted in their armies and their, their military strength. And yet the Bible says, if you look down in verse number 7, For the Egyptians shall help, and read the next two words with me, what? In vain. And we look at that and we scratch our heads and we say, why in the world would Egypt or would Israel do this? But how often, how often 
in our lives do we go to the world for our counsel? How often do we go to the world, the, the lost world, for our source of strength to help us through the time? I'm not talking about us as Keith Ice Baptist Church. I'm saying individually, how, how are we measuring up to this? There's some people that said, I don't want to hear. There were some people who said outwardly, oh yes, we're, we're, we love God. We want to honor Him. We want to be all Him. But inwardly they weren't. And then you have a people here, God calls them rebellious. Not because they were defiant towards God, but simply because they didn't seek His counsel. They didn't put their dependence upon Him. If we're children of God, if we're bought with a price, shouldn't our dependence be upon God? Shouldn't our guidance and our counsel come from God? It's amazing to me how many times we go to even sometimes our lost friends and say, boy, I sure could use some advice in this area. And we hadn't even prayed about it yet. Isn't that a shame? Here these folks go back to Egypt of all places and say, we're going to trust in them. And God says, woe unto you. It brings us to 31 in our text verse, and the message is simply this. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses. Their dependence is on the military power, if you will, there. Egypt had horses. They had chariots. This says, in trust in chariots. Because they are many and horsemen, because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Four different chapters, God says, Woe to the nation of Israel. You don't hear me, you don't long for me, and you don't depend on me. Woe unto you. What's the remedy? Look with me in verse number 6, and this is our message. Chapter 31, verse number 6, Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. What's the answer? Get away from those things of the world and turn to God. He said, Brother Greg, you're preaching to the Sunday afternoon group at Keith Heights Baptist Church. I understand that. But God was speaking to His own children. Those that were under His leadership. Those that had priests and prophets that at that time in history heard directly from God. And yet He felt a need to tell those people, you need to turn unto Him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Can I help us with something here? There is a drifting that happens in in our lives from time to time. We are prone to that. The flesh nature tries to get that way often. And we find ourselves drifting and pulling it back and drifting and pulling it back and drifting and pulling it back. Where I fear the problem comes in is as we drift sometimes... Because it's happened over and over and over again, we begin to not think of it as that bad. It's not that bad. Would I really call it rebellion? Well, we might not, but God does. 
it goes so bad that in verse number 6 of chapter 31, God says you need to turn back to Him from whom Israel has deeply revolted. I'll be honest, I read these things. I said, they're just not listening sometimes. We don't listen sometimes. They, they claim to be something outwardly that they weren't inwardly. We do that sometimes, don't we? Try to get people to think higher of us than really what our hearts are. We, we trust in things other than the Lord from time to time. And we just do. It's our nature. We do that sometimes. And that's the problem. Do you see how I just said those three things? We get to where, oh, that's no big deal. We do that sometimes. To God, it's a big deal. And where I think we've lost in the Christian life, the fight, the absolute eschewing of evil, the idea that even these things that we may look at and say, yeah, we kind of do that. God looks at it and says, that's rebellious. You need to turn from it. That, that is deeply, deeply revolting to me. And it, perhaps if anything we can learn from this passage and these lessons today would be to pray often, Lord, help me to see the sin and the failure of my life the way You see it. Because we have the tendency to grow callous. And I would say this, we have a tendency to grow comfortable with these failures in our life. And God tells Israel, woe. Woe unto these things. Woe unto these things. These need to be a major, major consideration in your life. I think that's why over and over in the New Testament we find Paul speaking of awake thou that sleepest. He understood, he knew there were times where even people of God would be lulled to complacency. To have apathetic attitudes towards the things that God looks at and says, those are serious matters. Those are things that when you see them in your life, don't take them lightly. Don't take them lightly. Look at them deeply. And so I ask if we would to just take some time, whether it be today or this evening before we go to bed. And I would ask each of us to just spend some time alone with God and say, Lord, are these in, evident in my life? Are these apparent in my life? Because we all have the tendencies towards them. And the sad thing is sometimes we don't see it. I promise if we ask God to help show them to us, He'll show them to us. That's a hard prayer to pray sometimes. Sometimes we don't want to see them because we know He's going to show them to us. But it's needful. All right? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word, how it guides and instructs and teaches us. And Lord, just these things that You've taught the nation of Israel that You were sharing with them. You're calling them out. And Lord, the truth is, you were reflecting your view of their sinful condition. Lord, it wasn't just a minor thing. It wasn't one of those things that we can just throw our hands up and say, well, that's no big deal. That's just a small thing. Lord, these are major concerns.